You're listening to Hello Movies, a podcast to get you off the couch and into the theater. I'm Lana Gay. This week, we talk to writer, director, actor, superhuman Kevin Smith to get his take on the new and controversial movie, Joker. You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. We take a look at the special effects in the new Will Smith and Will Smith movie, Gemini Man. I think I know why he's as good as you. He is you. We've also got Joker trivia, a look at the origins of the red carpet. And of course, we keep Kevin Smith around to tell us about his newest movie, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. I'm Jay, and this my head with life made Silent Bob. It's time to do a little listening before watching. Let's get started. Yes, we have a very special guest this episode. Director, writer, podcaster, star of his own movie, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, which we'll be talking about later, Kevin Smith. Kevin, since you're also a major comic book aficionado, I hope you don't mind talking about Joker with us. Oh, my Lord, I, I would love to. Um, I can't wait. Um, I remember when they announced this movie, some people were going like, we don't need this origin story. But I'm like, I don't know, it sounds kind of dope. And in the right hands, this could be very cool. Yeah, director uh, Todd Phillips said this, you know, a big theme of the film is the lack of empathy in the world right now. And of course, there's been a lot of response to the film, like you said, that flagged that tone as problematic. And even in Fat Man Beyond, in your podcast, I know Mark seemed concerned as well. Yeah, Mark was definitely onto it um, early. He was like, I don't know. Me, I'm the other guy. I don't believe that movies and video games inspire violence at all and stuff. So it never occurred to me. But then when I saw that military alert, I was like, that's that's a new place. Like, um, I, I've never seen any branch of the military say anything about the screening of a movie mm -hmm. uh, or the release of a movie. So, you know, perhaps Mark had his finger on the pulse, and as per usual, I was blissfully ignorant and just wanted to see a comic book movie. It was years and years ago in the 50s that uh, they kind of changed the character of the Joker from a psycho psychopath into kind of like a goofier character because of the Comics Code Authority. So this is not necessarily something new for the Joker. No, I, I mean, mean for there are characters times. always through to many incarnations in the comics, through a bunch of incarnations in film. You know, he's always been a loose cannon. Um, it, it's not like they're introducing this brand new concept of a alienated killer clown uh, for the first time. You know, even Heath Ledger's performance hinted at the same kind of alienation. Uh, for some reason, right now, it's you know that movie when when Heath Ledger played the Joker. We didn't live in, I guess, the political climate that we do now, mm -hmm. or we did but didn't know it. But now, I guess, some people feel like it's a powder keg, and is this going to ignite it? I don't think so. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. Let's talk about, because you're such a big comic book fan, uh, what do you... What do you like about this character in general? Because the, the Joker's been in the DC Universe for a very long time. The Joker, of course, always stands out because, you know, he's, he is that thing which most people are afraid of, a clown. And this one is murderous. Like in, back in the old day, he, he was the clown prince of crime. But, you know, uh, he slowly became this, this psychopath. You know, he used to do things in the comics like, I'm going to poison the Gotham Reservoir so all the fish have smiles and stuff like that. The Joker is colorful, fun. Um, he's like Hannibal Lecter in makeup and, and grease paint um, with a better sense of humor. 
So you can see why he, he lasted a long time, why why he's a character that's so appealing for so many actors to play. He's kind of like Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it seems now that, like, everybody worth their salt as a performer is going to want to take a, a shot at the character just to bring their permutation to it, to show you they're kind of crazy. If you were making your own Joker movie, who would you cast? Um, if I was going to cast a Joker movie... I think I would go back in time and cast Peter O'Toole as a sad Pagliacci version, like the sad clown. Oh. That British accent, that laissez-faire attitude that could suddenly burst into Lawrence of Arabia, I think that would have been magical. Okay. All right. I, you know what? I, interesting indeed. Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Meanwhile, you can see Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker in theaters now. And Kevin's not gone. He'll be back a little later in the podcast to talk about his movie, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. But first, Joker trivia. So Kevin Smith just told us that he would have cast Peter O'Toole as the Joker. And you know what? He's not the only one who wanted to do that. Apparently, O'Toole was on the wish list to play the Joker in Tim Burton's Batman, at least by the studio, if not by Burton himself. There have been a lot of other actors either interested in or up for the role of the Joker. Batman movies in general tend to bring out all kinds of creative casting ideas. Back in the 1980s, Ghostbuster director Ivan Reitman was briefly attached to a new Batman script. He wanted Bill Murray for Batman, which I think would have been awesome, Uh, Eddie Murphy for Robin, yes, and David Bowie for the Joker. Can you imagine? That's amazing. Did I mention it was the 1980s, right? Uh, Steven Spielberg also toyed with the idea of making a Batman movie. His dream cast included Harrison Ford as Batman. Who else? Michael J. Fox as Robin. Dustin Hoffman as the Penguin. And for the Joker? Tim Curry. You know, he was great as Dr. Frankenfurter in the cult film The Rocky Horror Picture Show. British actor, very, very well known for that one. Not a bad choice at all. Also not a bad choice? Ryan Gosling. He was rumored to have been offered the role in Suicide Squad before Jared Leto got it. He said thanks, but no thanks, as he didn't want to sign on for a multi-movie commitment. Now for the trivia question. I'm going to list four actors. Three of them were up for the role of the Joker at some point, or tried pretty hard to be. One was neither interested nor asked. Was it? One, Robin Williams. Two, Steve Carell, three, John Travolta, or four, John Lithgow. You'll find out in just a bit. 25 years ago, they made you from me. They chose me because there's never been anybody like me. We have to end this right now. Tomorrow, the movie Gemini Man hits theaters. It stars Will Smith as an aging hitman who's being targeted by a younger clone of himself. The movie takes advantage of some very cool new technology, both for its intense action sequences and the whole Will Smith versus Will Smith thing. To get some inside information on that, we're talking with Eric Eisenberg, an events editor and senior film critic at Cinema Blend. Eric was at the special Gemini Man screening event on the Paramount Pictures lot in L.A. recently, and he got to see some early footage from the movie and ask questions at a panel featuring Will Smith, director Ang Lee, and producer Jerry Bruckheimer. Hey, Eric, 
How's it going? Thank very, you so much for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm doing very well. Thanks for uh, coming on. Uh, we're excited to talk about Gemini Man. And in particular, you wrote an article for Cinema Blend that described high frame rate or HFR mm-hmm. and its use in Gemini Man. Can you break it down in kind of simpler terms? What is HFR and, uh, and how, how would the audience notice it? It's the process that allows us to actually watch movies. So if you've seen, ever seen a film strip, you know that what a film is, is a series of images that are basically uh, sped across a projected light. And when you're watching those images projected up on a screen, your brain essentially takes those separate images and mixes them together. And it's a phenomenon called persistence of vision or flicker fusion, where essentially you're filling in the gaps between each of those images to create a moving image or motion picture. So early on, they discovered that there's a basically a minimum speed at which film can go so that the human brain can actually process that. And the reason why they went with a minimum is because film stock is expensive. And so they wanted to basically record as much as they possibly could on as little film stock as they could to save money. And the magic number that has been basically a standard for about a century is 24 frames per second. And recently, there has been obviously a huge revolution in filmmaking where digital has become way more popular amongst filmmakers than actual film and kind of the ability to film at infinitum has led filmmakers like Peter Jackson and James Cameron and Ang Lee to question why we are still working at 24 frames per second when the reality is that we can go way, way higher and experiment with a very different look. And the reality is, is that when you do add those frames in, it does add a very different look. And reason uh, why this is a topic uh, surrounding Gemini Man is because, like I said, most films are filmed at 24 frames per second. And this one is filmed at a whopping 120 frames per second, which has a big effect. Of all the people in the world to come after me, why would he send you? Interesting. Okay, now, um, Bill Westenhofer is the lead VFX supervisor on the film, and he's advanced a lot of tech and film forward from Babe to Narnia. But can you tell us about his process to create young Will Smith in Gemini Man? Oh, sure. Uh, so it, it, what's interesting is that they actually very much stress that it's not de-aging. Like not, they, what they didn't ha- do is have Will Smith on set playing both roles and uh, basically bouncing back and forth and like having just DFX DH him during the process. They actually created a young Will Smith. They had another younger actor with similar uh, features and skin tone to Will Smith on set uh, whenever he was acting against Will Smith. And they did have him, obviously Will Smith, play uh, the younger role just for like uh, the vocal performances and the dialogue and stuff like that. But essentially what young Will Smith is is kind of a mask that is wrapped around this uh, younger actor's body in a certain sense. You're taking Will Smith as he exists. They obviously brought him through the entire VFX process. They did all these digital scans. And then they did uh, studies against uh, how he looked back in the 90s. And one of the advantages of working Will Smith is the fact that he was a big pop culture figure back in the 90s between uh, right. movies like Independence Day and Men in Black and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So uh, that they had all that as reference point, And they used it to create this uh, young Will Smith, uh, which it's, it's just interesting also when you think about how like de-aging has become such a prolific thing in movies these days. Even like earlier this year with Sam Jackson in Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. it's interesting that this is a very different process. Or De Niro in The Irishman. Yes, which I've heard nothing but fantastic things about. And yeah, I am dying with jealousy for all the people who have already seen it. 
Do you think with all of all of this kind of I don't know with now that we know Will Smith, um, his character in Gemini Man isn't is more of a, a process and it's not technically de-aging. It's I, the fact that you said it was almost like a mask on another person. Like as Will Smith. <laughs> I, I understand it more. But do you think that this will affect casting in films more? Uh, I definitely think that it is something that uh, is certainly explorable. I mean, it's going to depend on how actors, I think, embrace it to a certain degree. I mean, one example that we have uh, just kind of that's coming up in the next few months is the fact that uh, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker was made, unfortunately, after the death of Carrie Fisher. But we know that she's going to be represented in the film, not just with footage that was kind of remaining from, I believe, The Force Awakens, but also with uh, digital technology to kind of uh, have her play a more significant role that given that she couldn't. So, uh, yeah, I do think that this technology, it, it has to be applied carefully uh, just because there are obviously certain implications. Also, there is, I guess, then you could potentially run up against the fear of like older movies potentially being re-edited. Uh, and also, like, maybe the person that is being brought to life and their image manipulated, maybe they don't have the right people speaking up for them. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of manipulated in a bad way and not necessarily how they would have wanted it. So there are definitely a lot of implications with it and yeah that's just something that as it kind of all develops and basically filmmakers have different ideas of how to apply it all be an interesting conversation going forward you made a person out of another person then you sent me to kill him you made a choice to do this to me so you have seen Gemini Man in theaters, and I want uh, you to tell us why you think people should see this movie in particular in theaters. It is a uniquely theatrical experience. And between and like I said, uh, between the, th the 3D application within it and also I will highlight in particular underwater looks spectacular in high frame rate i've I, like I, it honestly blew my mind there are multiple shots within the movie that are set underwater and just the way that the image is presented it looks unbelievable and the fact that james cameron has uh talked at length about uh the amount of underwater filming that he wanted to do for avatar the avatar sequels has me honestly very excited for his vision for that uh but yeah for now this is something that is new and exciting and uh i think that people should kind of check out and just kind of get to know okay well well eric thank you so much for taking the time and uh, i really appreciate it thank you for having me on the show gemini man arrives in theaters across canada on october 11th Earlier in the podcast, we asked which of these four actors was never interested in or considered for the role of the Joker. The four choices were Robin Williams, Steve Carell, John Travolta, or John Lithgow. Did you guess Robin Williams? Not him. Williams really wanted to be in Tim Burton's Batman, but the studio used him as a bargaining chip to get Jack Nicholson to take less money for the Joker role. It worked. Nicholson did lower his salary, and the studio got the Joker they wanted. As for Williams, he was, understandably, very angry. And that smart guy Jack Nicholson ended up banking over $50 million from his piece of the merchandising anyway. So there. Another comedy star, maybe? Not Steve Carell. Like Williams, he really wanted to be the Joker and lobbied for the role, but it went to Heath Ledger. John Lithgow? He has actually turned down the part twice. Once to director Joe Dante, and once to Tim Burton. He said he told Burton, I tried to persuade him I was not right for the part, and I succeeded. All right. 
So that leaves us with the right answer, John Travolta. He's done a lot of crazy stuff in his time on the silver screen, but as far as we know, he's never talked about playing the Joker. Joaquin Phoenix is getting a ton of Oscar buzz for his take on the Joker, which means that next year he'll be taking part in a time-honored tradition, walking the red carpet. These days, the red carpet indicates status and prestige, but its origins date back to ancient Greece. It first appears in the Greek play Agamemnon. Agamemnon's wife, Clytemnestra, I hope I said that right, she rolls out the red carpet when he returns home from a trip. But the dark truth is that she's mad at him for sacrificing their daughter. Oh, and she also happens to have a guy on the side. Not to be left out, Agamemnon has a concubine of his own with him. And that's where things turn sinister. When his wife unfurls the red carpet, he hesitates walking on it because only gods were truly worthy of the color red. But he does it anyway, only to be murdered by his wife later. Yes, very ominous. Now, the non-murdery red carpet tradition really became a thing in 1821. That's when it was rolled out for American President James Monroe as he disembarked from a riverboat. Fancy. Then in 1902, the New York Central Railroad started using a red carpet to welcome passengers onto their trains. You can actually see it in Hitchcock's classic film North by Northwest, when Cary Grant escapes New York by hopping on a train at Grand Central Station. Fast forward to 1961, when the Academy Awards started using the red carpet. Of course, since the show aired in black and white, TV viewers couldn't tell that it was red. But a few years later, when color TVs came along, everyone could see that super special red carpet and all the stars that walked upon it. Director Kevin Smith, who we heard from earlier in the episode, has walked his share of the red carpet. And he told us of a recent one with his daughter that stood out. I had a really memorable experience uh, with Harley on hers for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. When I go to premieres, of course, they talk to me about what I'm working on. Even when I go to premieres that aren't my premieres, they're always like, hey, what do you got going on? And in this premiere, everybody that talked to me talked to me about my kid. And I, that was just, it was a real grow-up moment where I was like, oh, guess what? It's not always going to be about you. Now that you've got a kid in the business, it also be about her from time to time. So it was really sweet. A very proud dad indeed. Now, Harley was just two when she appeared with her dad in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. 18 years later, she's back in the new sequel, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Here's the only bit from the entire trailer that we could include without bleeping anything. Don't tell me you guys have no idea there's a new comic book movie being made of the old comic book movie you two are the basis for. Why now? Why, why is it time for the reboot with Jay and Silent Bob? Oh, it's not. It's really not. But, you know, I'm bringing it regardless. There was never going to be a time. <laughs> never a good time, at least. But, it, it, you know, the title's misleading because it's certainly not a reboot. Oh, it's really a sequel more than anything else. You know, when I almost died from the heart attack, the doctor was like, you got a 20% chance of walking out of the room tonight. I was like, oh, that's not good. And I was laying there waiting to die, and I was okay with the idea that it was ended because I was like, you know, you had a good life. You can't complain. Great family, great career. Like, if this is it, you know, so be it. And then I suddenly, I was at peace, and then the only regret I realized I had, I was like, oh, man, if I die tonight, the last movie I made was Yoga Hosers. So suddenly I was desperate <laughs> to live so I could make James Tom Bob reboot, because that's the movie to go out on. But is that why you started film? I heard the first day of filming was the one-year anniversary of your heart attack. Is that is that true? Yeah, starting the movie, 
on the you know, the one year anniversary of the heart attack was was, was very much a big fuck you to the heart attack. You have some new friends in a, in the mix along with your old friends. Uh, what was it like casting Jane Silent Bob reboot? It was really nice to add a few new people to the repertory players. Like uh, you know, fantastic that Matt came back, and fantastic that Ben came back, Deidre Bader, uh, Shannon Elizabeth. But, um, you know, we got to add a few new people. So we got Chris Hemsworth in this one, which was outstanding. Val Kilmer was new for me. That was amazing because I was always a big Real Genius fan, Tombstone fan, man's a legend. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just when you look at the casting, it's just like, oh, wow. It's all, again, it feels like old friends and then new friends that you've been introduced in other ways. So I'm excited to see how they, you know, how they essentially are cast in the in Jay and Silent Bob reboot as well. It's a bunch of people that I guilted into being in the movie by reminding them about my heart attack. Because you call people and they'd be like, uh, hey, man, I can't make it down to New Orleans to shoot for two hours. That's a little far. And you'd be like, bro, you do remember I almost died of a heart attack last year. And they'd be like, all right, I'm coming. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, we really want to know why we should, as moviegoers, see Jay and Silent Bob reboot in theaters. I mean, really, at this point, probably nostalgia. Um, but... Seeing it on the big screen, for anybody that saw the original on the big screen, we're going to take you in a time machine, man. Like, this is the closest thing you get to time travel. You're going to feel like you felt when you were sitting in the theater back in 2001, when you were 18 years younger than you are right now, man. So if you want to close that loop and feel exactly like you did back then, hop on out and see it in the movie theaters. Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to it. Thank you. You guys rock. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, take right, care. Bye-bye. You'll have just two days to catch Jay and Silent Bob reboot in theaters, October 15th and 18th. So put that in your calendar and go see it. Also hitting theaters this month, Zombieland Double Tap, the sequel to Zombieland, comes out on the 18th. And a new animated version of The Addams Family arrives in theaters October 11th. And that's a wrap. We'll be back with a new episode in a few weeks. Please subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. On our next episode of Hello Movies, we'll be talking two very big sequels, Terminator Dark Fate and Doctor Sleep, which shows us a grown-up Danny Torrance played by Ewan McGregor years after The Shining. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. If you have comments or questions about anything you heard on the podcast, let us know at hellomovies at cineplex.com. Hello Movies is brought to you by Cineplex Entertainment. Lori Ulster is the writer of our podcast. Colton Eddy is our producer. Philip Zivkov is our sound designer and mixer. Our series consultant is Jeff Ulster. And our executive producer is Catherine Jun. I'm Lana Gay. Thanks for listening and see you at the movies. Movies.